0: Welcome to Geek Salad, a podcast about two guys talking about their passion for anything geek, from the digital world to the not-so-digital world. Now here are your hosts, Randy and J.A. LaRock. What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Geek Salad. I am your host, Randy, and with me as always is Jose. What's up, Jose? What's up, what's up, everybody? What's up, dude? Man, it's been a while since we've done another one of these...
1: Yeah, I mean, this is. It was. It was the uh, interview show. It was the inter. No, was it the interview show? Yeah, that's the last.
0: Has it been that long? (laughs) Oh man, um, I I will say this though, um, having having gotten to interview, uh, Jamie uh, Stegmeier, like really cool dude, um, like it was amazing, just like. Getting to sit down with him and like getting to pick his brain as somebody that like designs games and stuff like that. Um, now it's just like, hey, let's see who else we can reach out and get him to come on to the show. Uh, well,
1: one of the exciting things uh, that you guys uh, who are watching or listening to this don't know is that the Obsolete Gamer Show, which is our like pure interview show, was accepted as a television show for IMDb. Mm-hmm. So, what does that mean? In the grand scheme of things, not much, oh, but my, it's, nothing. <laughs> it's, it's, it feels good for us because because we've been doing this. I mean, it's over 100 episodes and it's the same type of format and it was coming out pretty consistently. And, you know, it, it always had a guest. So it, it fit all the formats for like an online talk show. So it was good to be recognized. You know, it's, it's not going to bring us money, fame or anything else. Most people won't even know or care. But for us, it feels good. And let's face it, having it there means that if you come on obsolete gamer show you get an imdb credit now so (laughs) we're gonna use Ah, that to get more guests
0: dang i gotta get on that show oh man so yeah so um after let's see so what what, i gotta look around here because i got my little props here for what we uh do
1: ready's workshop
0: man at at my workshop what am i gonna pull so anyway um So my kind of like first thing that I want to go into and kind of show off and talk about, um, when I did go to PAX East, (laughs) which uh, was funny, Um, one of the big kind of like huge games that came out the year before was Gloomhaven. So ran a huge successful uh, Kickstarter and then came out and then like a fart in the wind disappeared from stores. (laughs) <laughs> because it was just so popular, so hyped. Like people that played it were like, "Man, you gotta, you gotta play this game." Da da, da If you like uh, dungeon crawls and all that. So at PAX East, what did I get my hands on? Ugh. But like Christmas. But the twenty-five pound monstrosity of a box that is Gloomhaven.
1: Holy cow!
0: Yes, I did say twenty-five pounds. And yes, when I left PA- PAX East. It did weigh 25 pounds. By the time I got home, it felt like it weighed 50 pounds because when you're carrying around a 25-pound box, okay, like this is – I kid you not, this is the box. Um, if there's one thing that I laughed at going home on the train, I'm sitting there with, with the box, in it's like shipping boxes. That's literally what they what these guys had is like it was a game store that I guess they ordered X amount, and they had them there at the show. And they were like, Yep, we have Gloomhaven. You can purchase it and we'll hold it on, you know, hold it for you until the end of the day so you can take it home. So you don't have to lug around a 25-pound box the whole time you're at PAX. So went in, paid it, put my name on it, went back at the end of the day, picked it up. As I'm traveling home, I'm sitting on the train with a box sitting in between my legs, and you can see on the side it says Gloomhaven retail. And this guy on the train just like looks down and sees the box and reads it. And he's like, Oh, you're gonna enjoy that game. And I'm like, huh? And he's like, Yeah. I haven't. He's like, but just so you know, now you're in it for like an extra 80 bucks for the organizer for it because you're going to have to. You're going to see. So you need an
1: organizer for this thing.
0: And let me tell you, the dude wasn't kidding. There is, so one of the neat things, like very, very cool dungeon crawling organ One of the things that's really neat, and I can understand why people really enjoyed this game is when you open up the the box you pull out just a thing this thick of just slab you know slabs of cardboard that you have to punch out so like all the different traps the doors the things like the rooms all whole nine yards and then you get to the bottom of the game and there's about 20 boxes thin boxes and then little square boxes that don't have a name on them they just have a symbol And as you go through the rule book and, and, you know, it sits there and tells you, okay, when you're setting up for the first time, you're going to do campaign number one. And the way that you set this up is you're going to choose from a character from these six symbols and they give you the names of the classes. That's all you know. So they tell you you have the Tinker, the the Craig Hart, the Brute, the uh, Scoundrel. Um, the, uh, the Spellweaver, and I forgot the name of the last one. But that's all you know. So you say, like, cool, I want to be the Spellweaver. That's who I chose. Mage at heart, you know. That's what I like playing at World of Warcraft. So it tells you, okay, pick this box and this little cube. You know, this little small square box. All right, cool. You pick it up. When you open up the thin rectangular box, in it is your character card the cards that you're going to use in your hand, and then like you know, basically like counters for your your person this and that, and then the little small square box is literally a little plastic minifig of your character. And you can read like the back uh, of the player card; it has like the background story of your character and yada yada. So it's really cool. So the way that they basically make the game is the cards have two basic: uh, top half and the bottom half, which are actions. Each turn, you're going to choose two of those cards. And you're going to do the top action on one card, the bottom action of the other card. And each of the cards has a number, which is your initiative. And that's like whoever has the lowest initiative, they go first. And then basically all the monsters you do with have a set initiative. Everybody has a set initiative. You figure out, okay, I'm going first, then the monsters, then you, then you. So like, it's pretty cool. Then at the end of that turn, those cards go into like a discard pile. After you play through kind of like your cards in your hand, you kind of have a phase where you say, okay, I'm going to rest. You take your discard pile, you shuffle it up, and you randomly choose one that permanently gets removed, and then the rest go into your hand. And then you keep doing that. Now, that's a quick rest. They have a long rest, which means you're out for a turn, but when you pick up those cards, you choose which card you discard out permanently. So it's kind of neat. So eventually you may get to a point where you don't have any cards to play and you're out of the round. You're basically, your, your person becomes exhausted and you're out. And that's kind of like the neat thing of the game is based on the class that you play and how many cards you have in your hand is how long you're pretty much going to be in that scenario for. It's like there's, I've heard, apparently there's characters that you don't have a ton of cards, but you move a lot. And your attacks, you can attack multiple opponents and you can like poison people and do that. So like your job is go in, hit as many people as you can, run out and, you know, rinse and repeat until you're basically exhausted. And at that point, you should have gotten far enough along that. All right, like we're done, you know, like we've made it. This far. Really, really cool because you have a, a modular map that you build out. And then as you go playing through the game, you'll discover other side missions that you can go on which is kind of neat so like the first playthrough that my wife and i did like in the treasure chest that she opened up was a random like side quest that you draw a card and it's like this or no it wasn't a random one like it was a specific one and it gives you like a little flavor text of like oh you find blah 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 and then This is the only, if I can say, it's the only kind of thing that I'm like, eh, they didn't really need to do it, but it's a nice little visual type of a thing. The game does have a board, but the board is like a world map. Mm. And as you go doing your missions, there's stickers that you permanently put on the board that shows the path that you're going along your campaign. And then as you go unlocking these like kind of like side missions, these stickers pop up on the on the board as well which is kind of cool the other neat thing element to the game that's kind of cool is it's called gloomhaven that is the name of the town that you start off in before you head out onto your campaign so you actually before you head out like any experience or any gold that you found you can actually spend it at shops to beef up your characters but you also have like gloomhaven city events that happen which are random things that happen um and then you also on your way to your mission a random event happens as well and you have to decide and it's kind of neat because it'll just like be like oh like xyz happens like you could choose option a option b and then you vote as a group like what do we do and then you read what are the consequences of option a or option b you know, so it could be like, oh, look, we found extra money. Or, oh, look, like we have to pay money, like whatever it may be. Kind of same thing with you're on your way to your quest. Like something may happen on the way there that will either be a benefit to you or a hindrancy. So first playthrough, like I, I like the game. I want to play more of it just to see how much, because it, like, it was cool, but it was at the same time like, all right, like I don't know if I like it or if I don't like it yet. My wife was like, eh, it didn't really strike a chord with me, but she's like, I'm willing to, like, I want to try it some more, like at least a couple more plays just to see if it does start getting better or if her feelings don't switch.
1: Is it easy to pick up or is it, like, hard to get into if you're not, you know versed in in board games
0: so it's it's pretty easy to pick up it just has like a bunch of little kind of rules that i kind of question so one of the things is every time so you're attacking is done based on the cards so your card will say like oh you this move doesn't attack which does this much damage and essentially the the monster cards are going to have like this is how much health they have you know and this is how much you have to attack minimum to do damage to it so anytime you successfully do damage like it hits one hit for like you you basically put a mark for each hit over this value of the of the block now one of the kind of weird things about it is is that you have a little deck of modifier cards which will either give you a plus zero a plus one plus two critical hit you completely miss or minus one and i think there's a minus two so you essentially shuffle it and then oh i'm gonna attack them you have to draw one of these cards and see what your modifier is the only weird thing about that is like i almost feel like they could have probably done that with a die
1: yeah
0: and save those cards but I mean it's a little quabble it's like it's essentially the same thing like
1: is it one of each like the cards like let's say the negative two like how does that work how many you have in each
0: yeah so it's it's different based on which ones like a lot of them are like mostly like the zeros and the plus one and minus one like the the plus two minus two like it's like one same thing with like the critical hit and the like completely miss Kind of same thing. There's like one in this deck of cards, so it's like it's interesting. Like it's piqued enough of my interest and in all that, where like okay, like I'm, I like this. I want to keep doing the campaign just to see where this goes. And either way, like the way that I looked at it, and like when I spoke with my wife, like either way, if we completely hate the game, I could always resell it. I'll get my money back on it, and even more so because I have the organizer in it. So it's a really really cool thing. Um, it's one of the things like I've enjoyed. Now, the other kind of like thing that I I had not planned on talking about this and the fact that like, hey, we spoke about the interview with Jenny Stegmeier, is my pre-order oh. for the final expansion for Scythe came in. This literally came in yesterday. It's super cool. Um, what's really funny is like this, this goes to show you like how all in I'm in on this game. So part of the problem with I was getting everything for Scythe is it's like, cool. I had the original box, which you saw. And which I have actually out in the living room. And I was like, cool. If it's the original game, I started getting all these like the extra, like the cool looking resources and, you know, the little dial cards and all that. And I started to realize like, hey, as I'm putting this into this box, like this box is getting a bit full. And then of course... They came out with the first expansion in a little small box. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever, this and that. I was kind of sort of able to fit it in the original box. Then, of course, they came out with the second expansion in another little, like, small box. This shit didn't go into the into the original box. That was like, no. Nah. And then, of course, you had <laughs> this guy that now had to fit in that box. What's really cool, what's really cool, and I have to give it to Jamie Steckman, he actually released, he actually released a Scythe Legendary box. If you look at this thing, it is a good like two, I want to say like twice the size of the original box. The beautiful thing is this right here, and I'm granted, I do not have an organizer in this yet, that's like my last thing that I need to get. Because if you look real close, like you can see that little red gap there. This is with original game, both ex- or all three expansions in it. So it's all in this box, which is cool. Um, What's really neat about it is the way he made that box, which I liked is it has a new, if you saw the new cover on it, it says Legendary Edition. That top cover is the same size as the original cover from the original side. So if you want, you can actually remove that one and put the original cover with the original artwork on the top. So that's like that's really cool. But the only kind of like weird thing is if you do that, the side um, artwork doesn't match up. That's right. the only like if if there was a oh well, that kind of stinks is yeah, the side artwork doesn't up. But it's really cool that you can, like you have this like new box that fits everything into it. And like I said, that's everything that I have. To the point where I may have to go in there because I do have the original components that came in plus the upgraded components in there. So like I could probably get a tiny little more space where it might actually close completely.
1: Man, it it's crazy because I, I was thinking when you were showing those boxes, I was like, man, uh, back in the day, people really liked having the boxes from their video games, whether it was console or for computers. And, um, you know, they'd stack it up almost like you would do books. Mm-hmm. And now everything's digital, so you don't have that anymore. But then it's like I'm looking at that. And I'm just thinking not even the smaller expansions you've shown just between Gloom and Sight. I'm like, th- those two are huge. Yeah. I mean, you start collecting a couple of games, you need a wing, not a room. You oh, need yeah. a wing of your house for your board games. Well,
0: and this is the thing that gets me
1: is, like, at first I was like, you know,
0: oh, I'll I'll get rid of them because, like, there's nothing in here. But, like, the thing about it is the artwork on the boxes. Like, I sat there and I told my wife, I'm like, when we get our own house, like, in my game room, like, I'm going to put this up on a shelf as, like, a piece of artwork because it's, like, it's amazing just the artwork that they have in these things like you could put this on the front like you could put the side like any of the any of the the actual like artwork that's on the boxes is amazing like i mean even this one the invaders from afar like it's got a really cool like picture of like one of the max things like even this this side ones um and even this one like the the rise of fin has like a cool kind of like picture with like a soldier in the front and all that you know, it has like some of the the commanders on the side there. Um, it's it's so neat how some of these games, just like the old video games, like had some amazing like you had some, you had some really bad artwork back in those days, but you also had some like really amazing artwork in some oh, of the yeah.
1: games. Even back on the twenty six hundred, I remember, remember Yars' Revenge. That artwork oh, was yeah, great.
0: Yeah. Like, that's, that's one of the things, like, I, the last time I spoke with my brother, he actually, one of the Christmas gifts I got him two years ago, I want to say, was a book that was the artwork of a lot of these, like, game covers. And it's so, because it was, like, a hundred and something pages of a bunch of different games. And, like, one of the more prominent one was, like, The Yard's Revenge. You know, it's just like, you look at that and you're like, man, like, that was so cool that they actually did that with some of those games and that's the thing that i see with these like it amazes me where if you look at some board games that that some of these designers come up you have those games that are just like the splash in the plant in the pan type of games it comes out people love it they play it play it play it, play it and then it kind of like drizzles up and you have designers that will do that and they'll do the they're known for their like they hit the splash in the plan with every game that they come out with and they do it in such a way that they're like you have to give these guys like you think this this stuff out because they'll release a game it gets all this hype it blows up and it becomes like the hit game to get and just as people are starting to lose interest in it bam their next one comes out Everyone's like, whoa, he did this game. And like I've seen people that collect board games. It doesn't matter what the game is, but if it's from a specific designer, they're I'm getting it. Like they didn't even know what the game is. Like, oh, he's gonna buy a new game. Oh, I'm buying it. They don't care. It could be a dumpster fire in a box, and they'll still buy it. But the thing I've noticed, like that you won't see which happens in the video game industry is you can have a game developer in the video game industry that'll come out with an amazing game and two three years later they'll come out with a dumpster fire of a game yeah i have yet to really see something like that happen with a board game designer they, it almost seems like they're continually improving on how they design their games, and it's unbelievable how like that happens in the board game industry, and how differently it is in the video game industry.
1: I, I wonder if it has to do with maybe the company or publisher not putting as much pressure. Maybe they still. I mean, obviously they have pressure, but maybe it's not the same as with a video game where it's like it's got to come out. Where's the DLC? Where's this? Where's that?
0: Right. And that's why I think it 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 is like uh, that. That's gonna be a fun audio edit for you to like look through when I smack the mic. And hear you hear like poof, in the middle of your sentence. That and I mistakenly dropped the s bomb. But hey. Um, anyways, I'm sure you can edit that. <laughs> no, you can't. Um. The, the like, the thing that's in I, I think part of it is, like, the whole, like, they'll have a we want to release it on time and all that. But I feel like, like, this is, I've, I've always felt kind of like the video game industry has always been one of those, like, when you have a big publisher get behind a game. And they tell them, when is it going to be ready? Like, we want to announce a release date. And I mean, like, knowing programmers, they're like, well, we can have a stable version running December this year. All right, we're releasing it in December. And, like, you know how it is. Like, the publishers are like, cool. And they just go out and they're like, guess what? The game's coming out in December. And then that's when you have the programmers, like, (laughs) all, like, nervous because they're like, oh, we got to put something out.
1: Right.
0: And I kind of feel like that's... I want to give the... Like, the benefit of the doubt to No Man's Sky. I have a feeling when Sony was like, we're going to get behind you. We're going to inject money into this. Like, when can it come out? I have a feeling the people at Hello Games were like, well, technically we could have it out by this date, which is the date the launch. And they're like, cool. And they went out and like, that's the release date. And I have a feeling that they just got caught up in, all right, let's see if we can put the stuff that we're talking about. And then they realized like, oh, we're going to need more time. And the publisher was like, no, we said it's going out on this date. It's going out. Whatever you guys have, it's going out. Because if you look at no man's sky today, it looks today like what they showed two years ago or three years ago when they showed it off at E3. It's finally getting to that thing. But you know, this is what runs the world, and they were like, "No, no, no, we're not gonna like just dump a bunch of money into you." And you know? on the other
1: hand, you have Star Citizen, <laughs>
0: which oh my god, yeah. it may not
1: come out until I think fifty.
0: Yeah, I think our kids are the ones that are finally gonna get to play Star Citizen. Like we're just gonna be sitting there. I, I, I could see you and I, old and gray, in a bed. And they're like, you know, what did you think? It's like, man, we're gonna both be like, I remember when we that Star Citizen game that's about to come out, man. I remember when I first kickstarted that thing 40 years ago.
1: I just left college. <laughs> and I now about the- to die.
0: I found the most amazing thing, and I'm never gonna get to play it. Like it's that that's a game that like it was <laughs> it was one of those things I remember when I heard it, like on paper, this thing sounds amazing. And then I looked at it, and I, I wanted to back it, and I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I, like, I was like, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. Like it's a, it's a very ambitious game, and I don't know if they're ever going to do it. And it's like, I laugh because every so often you get that whole article of like, no, 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 Star Citizen's not vaporware. It's actually coming out. I was like, oh, I don't know, bro. This still smells like vaporware to me. <laughs> you know?
1: I think the hardest part, and this kind of goes back to maybe why tabletop games i think it's also the community it's like the community can wait uh you'll hear people saying in 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 tabletop games oh yeah i'll be out maybe a year year and a half and it's like that not big of a deal for gaming it used to be like that you know back in the day when you got mario brothers super mario brothers it's like okay another one's not coming out for a couple of years it's like okay well we'll have to play this one and this was there was no dlc back then by the way yeah so it, it was only recently with demos, DLCs, you know, expansions, all that, where the gaming community has gotten more impatient. Where in board games you don't have that. With Star Citizen, I think the problem is is that it's so much money too. Because if it was just one of their backing uh, amounts, like you know, the the entry level one or the special one, mm-hmm. but no, they even had like sales where you're buying these capital ships for thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. and that's where it starts to be like, okay it's not like I gave you 50 or a hundred bucks and now I'm wondering when this going to come out. I've bought thousands of dollars. I have all these friends who are like, man, we're going to all play in this capital ship. I don't even have those friends anymore. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, like, like one of, one of the big things that like that goes to show you the whole, like just difference in, in, in PC gaming or video gaming and board gaming Um. Of course you'd have a motorcycle go. I don't even know if the mic picked that up. But I like, didn't hear it. Oh, okay. Um, but one of the kind of like big things that like I've noticed, so there there is a bunch of like, you'll see Kickstarter and, and now Kickstarter, even with the video games, just the same as board games. is like there's sometimes where you'll have those like stories of people invest money and then pff, you never get nothing. One board game that came out So it was a very, very ambitious project called Kingdom Death Monster. And I only know about it because I heard about it on a podcast. Mind you, this was way after they did the original Kickstarter. But essentially what Kingdom Death Monster is, is it's a board game where you are creating a village. So you'll have your things that you'll build up to try and like, you know, you can have, if you have certain people, like you can breed them and then build up the population of your village and you can do upgrades to the village and technology for the village and things like that. The meat and potatoes of the game is at a certain point... You and the other several villages, because each person plays their own village, go on on a monster hunt. Because supposedly in the world, in this world of of Kingdom Death Monsters, there's these monsters that, you know, patrol around. And these villages, like it's almost as if like mankind got kind of almost completely eradicated, and now the villages are starting to come back because these monsters essentially killed off most of humanity. So then the whole thing is, is it's supposed to have like a Model a plastic model of the monster that you're fighting, and then the game turns into okay, we're gonna attack this monster, and like based on how you attack it, where you attack it from, this and that, you can do damage, you don't do damage, this and that. So, big bulk of the game then comes from you attacking it. It's kind of the best description I kind of heard of is it's like kind of like Monster Hunter but in a board game format. So, if you manage this, so that's the other thing is you don't always kill the monster. You can kill off all the villains because you have to dedicate like we're going to I'm going to send out three people to go fight the monster and vice versa like everybody picks. If you do kill the monster, then you get to basically like break it down and then you randomly draw loot. So like it was funny because like in the uh, podcast that I listened to, which is called The Secret Cabal, which is a phenomenal board gaming podcast. If you ever want to like get a good idea on some games and stuff, highly suggest you subscribe to them. Um, but he talks about how, like, it was so funny because, like, they sat there and they, like, started cutting up this monster and he's drawing from this thing. He's like, and I ended up getting the monster's intestines and his gonads. And he's just, like, pauses and everyone starts giggling. And he's like, yes, I did say his gonads, which is funny because when I took it back to my village, it actually helped me that I could actually breed more people because of the whole, like... I was now more fertile because I had the monster cronads and I fed it to my people, and all. And I'm oh like, "Yeah, no, no, it's hilarious." But he goes into the, like further the story of the of the, like the Kickstarter of of Kingdom Death Monster because he was like, "I remember when I first kickstarted this four years ago." He's like, "I went because he's like they had a kind of like entry level. Hey, it's a hundred bucks to get the base game, or." For 400 bucks, you get the base game plus this, like, one or two expansions plus all the Kickstarter goals. He's like, so I basically went all in for 400 bucks. He's like, the thing about it is, is he's like, you know, this is the thing about Kickstarters. When you do Kickstarter, sometimes you basically have to put that money in as if, like, I'm paying this money. I'm not expecting to get anything out of it. He's like, if you go that way into Kickstarter, you'll be fine. But if you think like, oh, I'm going to give this 400 bucks, like they need to give me something, don't do it. He's like, dude, he's like, it got to a point where like, right after the Kickstarter, they were getting like a bunch of updates from the, the developer. He's like, and slowly but surely, they started slowing down and slowing down. And what went from an update every two weeks to an update of once a month, to an update once every two months, to an update once every four months, And then he's like, literally went to radio silence for like a good eight months. And he was like, so much so of the radio silence, he's like, I completely forgot I had put this money into this game. And after like an eight to nine month hiatus, he gets an email of like, oh, I just don't, you know, he's like, I don't want you guys to think like we're not doing anything. I'm on point. (laughs) <laughs> I'm on point to give you, like, sound edits here. Um, he's like, not to make you guys think that we've completely forgotten about this game. Like, we're still working on it. And, like, apparently what the, the, the whole thing was is he was working, I guess, with one miniatures uh, company to, like, come out with the miniatures. And then something fell through. So then he had to go find a completely other miniatures company. And part of the problem was is like he had already started investing this money in this first miniatures company. So now like he had to basically now switch gears. And this guy, like apparently, put of his own like kind of like money, because he's like, I don't want this to like just disappear and be a failure into this new company and worked it out. And this guy says, lo and behold, one day he's like, he gets a package on his doorway. And he's like, When I tell you I got a package, he's like, I got this huge box. I had no clue what it is, weighed 35 pounds. He's like, and I pulled it in and opened it up. And lo and behold, here's Kingdom Death Monster with all this stuff. And he's like, no, that you did. He's like, I didn't make a verbal mistake. It was 35 pounds. And then the only other thing like I knew about it is like they were coming out with a second edition of Kingdom Death Monster. And yeah, if you wanted to go all in, it was like an insane like 470 or something like that. And I was just like, you'll never get me to pay that much for a game. But it's interesting because they don't sell this game in a local game. So like you can only get it through through Kickstarter. Just like um there is a game a really good game called Seventh Continent which I got lucky and they like reopened it for a small time the kickstarter for it so I was able to get it only kickstarter only why because it's just a bunch of cards and the guy he basically like put out when they did their first kickstarter campaign like hey I'm only doing this in kickstarter Because doing only Kickstarter is the only way that I can make it viable to make money off of this. He's like, if I were to make extra copies and put it on a shelf, it would actually, I would be losing money doing it. Which apparently, after also he did this little window that he opened it up, he said like they're apparently opening up an online store. So I think he's gotten the cost down enough that you could want a copy and he can actually order and have them print a copy. And then you get that. And the idea of the game I hear is it's almost like a choose your own adventure type of, if you remember those old books, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that in a board game format. So like you have the cards and then you can choose which way you go. And each arrow tells you like a number and that's the card that sits next to the one that you're at and then you flip it over and it has flavor text in a book that you could read, like what you see and what you do. What has made this game, it has piqued my interest to people that have played it and and whatnot is you can play and the campaigns can go anywhere from like a half hour up to like a couple of hours. But the way this guy designed the game is it comes with a kind of pad. And now with the, the new version, it actually has like a little leather fake leather journal that has spots for the cards you can actually say, okay, I want to like quit right here. You can basically capture where you are, you can take those cards and put them organized in a way that you can come back to it at another time, lay everything out, and go, okay, let's continue from where we were. So they actually have a save game feature, which is amazing. But yeah, it's 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 interesting to see just the difference. Between board games and video games when it comes to that, like development cycles, which I know we just went on a huge rant with me <laughs> uh, talking about Gloomhaven and Scythe. But it's it, it amazes me just like the the biggest draw for me to board games is the fact that in a video game like Monster Hunter World, I can pick it up. And that's a game, like, it's a bad example of a game because you can technically play it for hundreds of hours if you really want to. But you're eventually going to get to a point where you're going to hit, like, you've done everything that you can do in that one storyline before they have to keep drip-feeding you DLC. Like, um, God of War for PS4. You can pretty much play through the story up to a certain point. You can only go so far before you've unlocked all the unlockable what i like about a board game is a i can buy it i'm gonna pay the same amount of money as i got from that one video game but it's something that i can continually play over and over and over and over and over over again with same friends different friends and all that and we'll continue to have a good time and i think that's part of what's helped the whole board game industry like become this like new renaissance of the board game because it's like oh i can spend 60 bucks on this video game that i'll get eight hours of entertainment out of it or i can spend 60 bucks on this board game that me and my friends can play for like 200 hours like way out what your cost to to enjoyment is on
1: that and the thing is is that everyone they when you bring someone that's new because i remember i went over to a uh, friend's house and he had a bunch of board games that he had played tons of. He knew all the ins and outs, but I knew nothing about the game. And he had fun just introducing me to a game. Mm-hmm. Where with gamers it's it's half and half. Sometimes you have the gamers that it's like, Oh sure, I'll show you this game here, here, here and they'll and they're into it because you're brand new. And then you have others that's like, Man, I, I don't have time to teach you <laughs> or show mm-hmm. you all this. You know, go watch some YouTube videos. So that's a that's a good uh Distinction between tabletop and video game itself, and um, and
0: I I think like the thing about it is is that what's cool about introducing new people to it is you never know how they're gonna think out and what strategy they're gonna think out. Like yeah. it's like it's like the old Warcraft and Starcraft games. I can have a hundred hours in the game and think like you know what I'm gonna wipe the floor with whoever, and I can introduce you to the game. And you come in and you pull off a trick that I've never seen anybody do. And you smack me down. And I'm be like, what in the world did he do? It's the same thing with board games. Same thing with board games. Which is what's great about. Like I used to, that was one of the things that I used to love when I lived in Western Mass with my old landlord. Is his fun was, he was, I called, I, I like to like, dude, he was like the chess gamer. So he would look at a game and be like, all right, for me, this is my optimal move to score the most amount of points. I'm going to do this. What are you, like, based on what I'm doing, what do I think you're going to do? Oh, you're probably going to do this, so I may want to do. So he would play out this whole, like, thing in his head, just like chess. And I'd sit there and I'd go, all right, I need to do this. And I would do it. And he would look at me and go, are you sure you want to do that? Like, yeah. And I could just see the gears in his mind, just like, what in the world is he doing? Like, why did he do that? Why didn't he do this? My fun was just out thinking him in that sense. Because then I'd get to my end goal of what I was going with that. And he like, oh, like I could see he's just like, dang, I didn't even think of that. And that was my fun with playing against him. I almost knew. I never – I I had that feeling like I'm, I'm more than likely not going to win, but you know what? The fact that I can outthink him on something, that's my fun.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's funny because for me, what I want to present today is it, it kind of – I kind of thought about it after our You Don't Get the Show about reviews <laughs> and a <the> plagiarism. <laughs> um, how I review do reviews is different because – I mean, I've seen reviews forever. Even like, back in my Alienware days, uh, just seeing how some people go through and they'll go, they'll be super technical. So they're going and they're telling you about the specific stats compared to this, compared to that. And then you have like the more general person who is just more giving like an overview. And I was like, okay, if I did reviews, like, what is my style? Because it's like, I'm technical, but I'm not the kind of person that's going to be comparing the exact bodies to this. I mean, especially with the internet, that's things that you'll see right on the page when you go to whatever you're trying to purchase. So I tried to go with just like a basic basic user. Like, how would you use it in your everyday? And does the cost of it match what you're trying to get out of? So for me, headsets are really important because I'm always talking on my games now. You know, back in the day, it was I, I would type all the time, but now everything's either in-game voice chat, Discord, TeamSpeak, something like that. So for me, having that on, I need to know that it's going to sound well. And most important for me, it's comfortable. So I got to review this one here, the Senweiser. It is the GS500. Is that right, Senweiser? Sennheiser? yeah, Sennheiser? Sennheiser? I think it's Sennheiser. 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 German company. I'm not that good at German. (laughs) but basically so how how i do my reviews is based on usage just your basic usage because i mean you can look up the stats about this and there's a couple of things that you'll know just i mean anyone that's ever dealt with this company know that they have really good drivers they have really good sound they have really good uh microphones so at that point you're not really comparing. I mean, you look. You can start doing the numbers in in mm-hmm. terms of like background noise. And one of the interesting things here is they were talking about noise canceling, which I only heard of like in Bose, and then I started to listen to it, especially when I would take a flight. This talks about having like a noise canceling microphone. What that means is like if you ever played with someone that has like an open mic uh, in Discord or any TeamSpeak, the idea is is that it almost like creates a zone where it's picking up your voice and then like a little cone of uh, radius of uh, sound around it, and that all the external noises don't necessarily get picked up. Now, yes, you can adjust a lot of that uh, as far as the microphone sensitivity levels and whatever you happen to use. But what they're saying is that with this type of microphone, it's built in so that it's not going to pick up all that extra noise so like if you see like if you have a regular microphone here or even the broadcast microphone like the broadcast microphone it is set to uh send the omnidirectional sound to you so you're getting most of your voice here but it can still pick up sound from the side. So, depending on how it's designed, that's whether you'll hear more things like someone knocking on the door, my air conditioner, things like that. So, <laughs> having a microphone like this, hopefully you can have like the open open mic and someone isn't there like, hey, I hear you breathing, or is that a dog in the background, or what do I hear? You know, it's like all those things. Though I like push the talk though myself. So, I'll tell you that.
0: I, I was about to say, we have had things in this show of like, when in the world is that good in the background when you're hearing the AC going?
1: Yeah, especially me, because my my AC will be quiet, and then it'll be loud. And it's not that it's like knocking or anything like that. It'll just be like, I don't know, it's just blowing harder, which I don't know, because I have it set to the same temperature. But then <laughs> I, sometimes I'll have the fan on or something. I've had microphones where it picks up the um, the microwave. And, but even when they hear me talk, they'll say, oh, I I sound weird. So it's really weird if it's picking up the microwave that's in another room, but mm. my voice still sounds funny. So yeah. how I tested this was very simple. I'm Look, I'm not, like I said, I'm not super technical. What I did is last week I was playing for hours on end with people in two distinct games. I was playing World of Warcraft. and I was playing Monster Hunter World. So in both, I was talking to people both in the, I used the WoW client and WoW, their voice channel, and I used Discord. So I told the guys, I was like, hey, I'm testing out these uh, headphones, so I'm going to take off. To push the talk and see if it's open. And I did notice a difference where you still have to set the sensitivity to where it works well. But I noticed that even me, like sometimes, like if I get into something heavy, I'll do one of those things where you let out like an exhale or something like that. It didn't really pick up that as much as some of those other microphones. So look, I can't give you a drop down as far as if the noise canceling microphone is how good that is. I'll leave that to people much better than me. But I can tell you just in comparing it to some of my other mics, especially like the desk mics where you like lean over and talk into it, yeah, it works much better, especially if you have open mic. And if you're pushed to talk, it's golden. Everyone said I sounded crystal clear. I sounded really well. Um, and what's really cool about this is, so if you notice, it doesn't have like the mic, one that I'm using here. You can't focus it all over the place. But what's really cool is that. If you turn this up, it mutes it for you. So mm. that's pretty cool. Just that little feature because it's like if you're doing um open mic and then you're you're talking, and then let's say, you know, your mom, your girlfriend, someone comes in the room, you just flip this up and it mutes it. That's pretty sweet. And mm. um you also have on the side here the volume control, mm. which I always like being able to do that like on the headset. So it's like, you know, sometimes I have the sound really low, low coming from my PC speakers, and then I have voice in here. But then sometimes, you know, they're talking about whatever, we're not actually strategizing, but maybe something on the game, a cutscene or something, I can just quickly turn it down. So that's nice. Um, the most important thing for me is comfort. Because as I said, my gaming sessions can be long, and everyone knows that, you know, you're playing a game like Monster Hunter, you're with like five, six friends, and you're doing groups and stuff like that, you're gonna be there for hours. And what was little? This was the only part for me. It was strange, and I'm not. I can't use this as a negative uh, for the uh, GPS 500. I mean, GSP 500, because I don't know if it's just my head, <laughs> my ears. I mean, I don't have huge ears or anything, but the like cone shape for me, it always felt even when I adjusted it, like there's a little bit too much of an open gap. But the sound quality never dropped. So I think it's more me because normally you think, okay, if it's suction cupped on your head, you're going to get the best sound, especially when you turn up things like both World of Warcraft, Monster Hunter, especially Monster Hunter. You want to be able to hear things around. You'll hear the the monsters crawling here. You'll hear the water. you hear the trees rustling, especially you turn up the audio quality high. So I was thinking to myself, okay, if these aren't suction cupped onto my uh, ears and onto my head, then I'm going to hear, like, outside noise and ear and background. I didn't hear that. But it, it just took t- time for me to get used to the fact that it doesn't have, like, that straight oval shape like how these uh, have. So, But they were still comfortable. Like, the padding, as you see, is really thick and it's really comfortable. So when I had it on, like I said, the two gaming sessions were basically, like, almost, like, four hours at a time quick little break another four hours so i was going all out so Mm -hmm. i was wearing these things all day and it was really comfortable and what's cool is up here you can also do extra adjustments for the shape Mm -hmm. and size of your head so as you move these it adjusts the the padding and how much you can adjust this Mm -hmm. part the top part so the more you push down on it it's a little bit more stiffer and then the more you extend on it, it's more malleable so that you can really shape it around your head. And that was the one thing I had to get used to because I honestly, I never had a pair of headphones that had this before. So mm-hmm. what happened is, is that I would put it on and then it was comfortable enough. But once you really start to set this in around your head, then you feel the full, you know, full uh, comfort all the way across your head. So I didn't feel the bar on the top, I didn't feel it on the sides or anything like that. Also, just the mic never felt like it was in the way. And that's one thing that I always thought. I always thought that if, since this one wasn't as malleable as some of my other ones, mm-hmm. I said, man, it's going to be sticking in my face or it's going to feel like it's like you know blocking my view. It never did. It sit perfectly for me where it wasn't in the way. So I would say as far as comfort and all that, it just took a while for me to get used to it, but they were really comfortable for a long period. Now, it's wired, as you can see. But what's really cool is they came, it came with two different wires. It has a really long one, which you can't really see. But, I mean, it's, it's really long to the point where I got to get the exact uh, feet. But it's long where you can have it on your gaming or even if you're hooking up to a TV and you can, like, sit on a couch that's a couple of feet away. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And then they also have another small one for, like, let's say you're listening to it on your laptop or your phone or your iPad or something like that. They have a shorter cable that's separate. And what I really thought was cool is if you look here, the cable actually unplugs from here. Hmm. So you can take it off and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to take it over here. So let's say you have this plugged into your computer at all times and you have the shorter one plugged into your laptop. So then you just go over to your laptop one and you just take the other end and then you plug it in and then you're good to go. And then it's like, "Okay, I'm done at my desktop. I'm going to unplug it. Take it over to my laptop, plug it into a shorter cable, so that was really cool there. I like the fact that you know it is wired, but you 're able to just plug it and go from there and as I said, overall, as far as sound quality ease of use, I mean if you 've gotten any type of higher end uh, higher end headphones, then you 're going to see a lot of the same things. I mean the sound quality sounded great, like I said, I always like to hear uh, the, the most I can get out of my game. So I always turn up the sound quality. I have a good sound card on my uh, computer. So I was able to hear everything. Um, you know, when you set it to a surround sound, you actually do hear the surround sound, which I remember the first time I ever heard that in headphones, it tripped me out. Cause you always used to like stereo you figure, you know, left, right, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the way that this is designed, you'll hear it where it almost sounds like it's coming from behind where if something's behind you, you'll hear it on, let's say it's directly behind you. You'll hear it both, but it'll sound in the background where if they're shooting in the front, front ground, that sound is loud, but then you can still hear footsteps coming from behind you. So, I mean, that's nothing new, but just to say that that's what you can expect as far as sound quality here. And I also sometimes listen to music and things. And I'd say, This isn't something that's specific to these headphones, but I like the fact that the sound quality sounds good when I'm listening to multiple things. Because I'll be playing a game, and I don't, depending on the game, I'll listen to the in-game music. But like World of Warcraft, after a while, I've heard the dungeon music 100 times. I'll turn it down, I'll have music on, and I'm on the voice chat. So hearing Hmm. all the different things, people's voices come in clear, the game comes in clear the music comes in clear and it's strange but it almost sounds like they each have the correct sound for what you're listening to like the music sounds really good the video game sounds really good and then the voice sounds really good now the last part about this is price okay so these retail at about 250 bucks so obviously well it's a little bit cheaper like 230 230 mm-hmm. 250 depending on where, where you find it so they have cheaper versions of the same thing that will have a little less features uh, attached to it. So obviously, you know, that price point's kind of high, considering, like, you know, you can get the Xbox One for about that price. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely it's one of those things that, you know, you want high-end quality. But the thing is, is that when you buy it, they're going to be on for a long time. It's not something that you're switching out every couple of months. Um, I mean, when I've bought headphones, I've had it for years and as new technology comes out or better things come out they still work with you you know they have the updated drivers or whatever so i think i've learned especially getting older it's better to spend the money than to go cheap because i used to look for like the 50 dollars headphones but either they'll break or they hurt after they're on your ears for a while sometimes it's better just to put the money down so definitely i would say that if you're looking for a high-end gaming headset Look at this compared to some of the other ones. You know, you'll never go wrong with these guys. They've always put together great stuff. I enjoyed it. So it's up to you to decide. I never tell you that you have to do something, but I definitely <laughs> would say put it on your list, do your own research, and see if it's something that you like.
0: Yeah, like I have – so, like, my thing is I've – I've always looked at want to get a good – um like a good set of headphones for surround sound. So, like, I like first-person shooters, and I've played ones where, like, sound makes a huge difference. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed, so like, I got a sound. Like, I used to do the onboard sound. Yeah. And this last computer that I built, I actually got a Sound Blaster again because I'm like, oh, you know, I haven't used one around. What's really cool is on the sound Blasters they have an option for the headphones called Scout Mode, which it almost like enhances the sound. So, like, it's weird to describe it, but it's as if you can hear farther out. The only kind of weird thing with the technology is, is if it's turned on and you're in a game and you're in something like Discord, the moment somebody in Discord talks, it lowers, like, it brings back the. The sound of the scout mode. Ah. but when I'm playing like a game like Rainbow Six Siege, where it's like all coming from the game, like I could hear people from farther away, so I could start hearing them. And I'm like, oh, I hear them. The only thing that's weird is it comes down to the game. So one of the things that's funny is like a game that I've been playing a lot, um, as we talked about in uh, the obsolete Gamer show, is I've been playing Rainbow Six Siege a whole bunch of games. The thing that's crazy, which is it's been something that it's been happening since the release of the game. And everybody's like, you have to, uh, you know, you have to, uh, you know, address this. You have to address this. You have to address this. And they've been saying, like, yeah, we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. And like, having to fix Is the way that the sound works in that game. So the way that the sound works in Rainbow Six is if I'm standing with my back to a wall and there is a door close to me on the right-hand side and I'm in uh, against the wall and there's a door twice as far away on the left-hand side, the way that the game works is you hear the sound come to your ears, whichever side, whichever's path is shortest in-game for the sound to get to you which means I could be standing with my back to the wall. You could be on the opposite end of the wall to my left, and I will hear the sound come in on my right ear cup because the sound takes less time to travel around that open door on my right side than it does to my left. Hmm. And it has been something that they've been complaining, people have been complaining about for ages. Because, of course, what's going to end up happening? I hear the sound coming from my right. I'm going to turn <laughs> yeah. to my right yeah so what's going to end up happening you're coming around that door on the left behind me you're going to kill me from behind it's like how in the world is he behind me if i heard him from the right hand side you know so it's been something supposedly they say like they fixed some of it and it's uh, i still don't know but like one of the things that i've always like i've always wanted to do is i've wanted to get me a set of like true 7.1 surround like hardware 7.1 not virtual because like you say the virtual ones, you can kind of hear, like, it sounds like it's behind, but, like, at times, you're like, "Was that behind me or was that in front of me? Like, I have had that hard yeah. distinction of, like, it's hard to tell. Whereas when it's, like, a hardware surround, like, I've, I've listened to something, like, you can tell the difference. Like, oh, yeah, that's behind me. Oh, wait, that's in front of me. You yeah. know?
1: Well, what's interesting is one of the things is I did with these headphones after I was – it was, like, later at night, friends were logging off. I said, okay – let me just watch something. And I was watching the Last of Us Remastered uh, Mm -hmm. playthroughs. And I was like, you know what? Let me do it like old Doom 3 style. Because I remember back in the day with Doom 3, they're like, all right, you really want to play this game. Turn off all the lights, make it really dark, put on headphones, and focus on the game. And I admit that made it scarier because you're like you're hearing noises you're hearing things coming from behind and I didn't even have fancy headphones back then but still like you would hear the sound it got me scared so that's what I did and I would I was watching the game I mean gameplay and I was like I really felt like it, I was in, I was hearing things in the background, you know, when they were exploring, looking for things on the on the area, and I was like, you know, this is a kind of immersion that you want to get, because you kind of do get a disconnect when you're playing a video game, but your friends are talking to you, because you're, you're kind of in the game, but your friends are right there speaking in your ear, talking about all types of stuff, so it's kind of separate too, but... Mm-hmm. It's interesting that when you immerse yourself, I remember the first time I really felt that immersion in the game was uh, EverQuest when I was in Kelithyn up in the uh, where the Wood Elves live and it started raining. That was the first time I ever experienced oh, yeah. raining in a game like that, you know. And it's a 3D game and you're walking around, it's raining and you hear the water hitting the ground and they actually sounded different between if it hit the grass or it hit the wood. And then you hear the thunder in the, in the distance and they'd even have different thunders. I mean, this is an old game now, really old, but they'd have like, I think it was maybe three or four different thunder sounds. So mm-hmm. one, one close, one medium, one far like that. And that kind of immersion was just, was great. Uh, The other thing I just want to quickly review, because I did a let's play on this, but I just want to talk to it, was Dig or Die. And that game to me was a lot of fun because I love the games uh, like Terraria. And they even said, the guy who created this from uh, Getty Games, they're based in France. They actually mentioned Terraria as, you know, one of their inspirations. And Mm -hmm. I love Terraria and I love Starbound. And this game follows in that, where basically it's a a sandbox action strategy game. And if you've played any of these uh, games like Terraria or Starbound, basically the idea is you're on a planet and then you do these adventures, but your main thing is about building and crafting. And you can Hmm. do all this um, terraforming of the terrain. So, I mean, you... Whether it's, like, a drill or a pickaxe or in, like, Starbound, you have, like, a little gadget that, like, will break down the molecules of everything around you, you're able to create these crazy buildings. And if you go and watch some of the gameplay, these people have created awesome-looking homes because you can – you know, build your uh, base inside the ground or you can build your base up. You can use all types of different materials. There's all types of things that you can find and put in there, Th- things you've killed, things you've stolen, things like that, that you get from quest rewards. You can manipulate things like you can catch rainwater, things like that. And a lot of that is in Digger or die, where with Digger or die, it's it's a little bit more action based. And this review, I say, is kind of based on a, a person who was trying to see if he liked this game more than I went into it to specifically review it. It's almost like playing a demo and not reading up on it lit to see, all right, would I like this game from the outset? Because that's a lot of times you used to do with a demo. You just get the demo, play it, and then be like, okay, now I want to buy this game. And one of the things that when I got Dig or Die, I was so thinking of just like Terraria Starbound, I wasn't prepared for what would happen. Because like mm. in both those other games, you would land on this planet and it starts the same. Like this one, you work for this place called Craft & Co. And you're almost like a, a door-to-door salesman except you're doing this in space. You fly mm-hmm. around and you sell all these different items to people. But then your ship crash lands on this planet and now you have to put pieces together, build a spaceship, and try to get off. Now, a lot of the other ones had this thing where you either crash landed or you were teleported there or something like that. And there would be, like, hostile aliens on there. Usually it starts off as, like, just roaming monsters, little things, you know, almost like rats and birds in an MMO. And, you know, you usually could kill them, and then you're more focused on searching out, finding things, digging around. With dig or die, no, it was much quicker than that. When you land, it's almost like the whole planet is aware of your presence and they come mm-hmm. out and kill you. Cause that's what I wasn't prepared for for. The first thing is you start talking to your ship and your ship tells you, okay, well you have this main component, like this database of all this stuff that you can build. However, you have to go out and get its base components. So just like Terraria and everything else, you can go and you have to get wood, you get minerals. And there's also these like little energy crystals. And that is very big because that powers a lot of your, uh, anything that requires power. And it, drops from like certain, the, there's these little light bug mosquito things that like shoot little lasers at you. And those have a chance to drop those um, those energy crystals. Hmm. So I'm going around, searching around, just exploring the world like normal. And it's raining and it's all this. And I'm like, oh wow, this is another game. Like, you know, Starbound, Terraria, it's great. But I'm like, man, why are all these birds and, and bees and things keep attacking me over and over? And I'm like quick, quick, and, and they keep coming after you. And that was the thing about the game, which if if I took some time to read it, it, it's more on the action side. Yes, you do all the building that you did in Terraria and Starbound, but from right away, the idea is defenses. Because like in Starbound and even Terraria, you may have built like a wall or something to protect where you're at, but you could basically build like a little house, a little cave. It was more about getting shelter and starting putting your things together. With Dig or Die, right away, you want to start getting to the point where you can build these turrets. Because these things will start attacking you, and they don't stop. And they'll keep coming after you and after you. So it was kind of fun because you get to build up these bases. And you have to protect it really well because they'll swarm you. And your turrets will run out of energy. Your turrets can get destroyed. So if you think you can put up one turret or two turrets, no. you got to protect your backside. Some of the enemies can actually destroy some of the uh, landscape. So they can burrow down into your Uh, base and things like that so you're always on your toes to you know keep building keep fighting against all this stuff but as i said it still has all the elements that you found in terraria and starbound where you'd go out and you'd find like different settlements you find different mineral minerals you find different things to upgrade and it was always an idea of if you build this then it unlocks this then you upgrade this and it uh, unlocks that so in that uh vein it goes that way, and your idea, uh, your overall goal is to fix or build your ship so that you can escape. But the main thing right in the beginning is to build up your base defense, because it's going to be on slot. It, it was to the point where I had like maybe 60, 70 different monsters on the screen all at once attacking my base, and I, I was not prepared, and I, and I died pretty quickly. But once I got the idea that it's about defense, you change your strategy and that's why you get the strategy in the game because you realize, okay, I'm not just going to build my base. I'm going to build these little micro bases so that when they attack, you almost have like lines of defense. Mm -hmm. And then even within your base, you need to be able to escape. If they break your wall or they break your top of the base, you want to be able to lead them down into like a kill zone where you could take them out. So it's Mm -hmm. much more action oriented. Um, So if you like that, as well as still having the crafting feature where you can build all types of things and build up your base, Digger Die is, is, is definitely a game to check out. Uh, you can find it on Steam and you, you can also, uh, you see my gameplay here, you can find that on our YouTube page, but it's, it's definitely a great game to go check out, especially if you like uh, Terraria uh, and Starbound.
0: That, let me tell you, that reminds me of if you've ever played Seven Days to Die. Oh, yes. <laughs> let me tell you me and a friend of ours were playing that where we started like we started way far away from each other and we eventually made our way and we found each other and then we're like alright we gotta find out a place where we can like set it up as our like this is gonna be where we're gonna protect ourselves and we found this like office building and we started exploring and we're like alright this is what we're gonna do we're gonna go to the second floor like make it where it's it's like we'll put a wall we'll put like a bunch of spikes like we'll make it real hard for them to get to like we did a good job of defending ourselves and it was funny because we realized that oh there was to where we were there was no way to get to without like building a ladder up because it had like one part of the floor was completely collapsed there was a gap in between we're like cool and the other side it was like three different walls with metal gates and we're like, all right, we'll just bust through, put a bunch of like wooden spikes and stuff. So they come through and then just rebuild doors and stuff. No way that we're getting in that way. And we sat there and we like survived a good bit, but it was just so funny because at at one point we're like, all right, cool. Let's start exploring up into this tower. And we started going up and going, we eventually got to the roof, but it's like, it's so crazy. Just the, the amount of zombies that come after you. On that seventh day. It was like, what is going on here? Like you just hear the of them just attacking the walls. And what was funny is I don't know if you played long enough where you would see the the zombie train is what we used to call it. Where it was like the conga line of just zombies walking around. It was usually like those two uh it would usually be in the front would be the two really big fat woman ones. And then it'd have a whole bunch of like just the the like the smaller zombies behind them, like the weaker zombies. And it was just like this conga line of just they'd just be walking through and they'd go through your town. Like it was weird because they'd go through your town, and if they didn't run into anything, they wouldn't touch anything. Like you could literally be standing there and you'd watch them just walk by. And it's like, Mm. okay, like there's a conga line of zombies coming through the town. (laughs) You know, or you'd have like if, where we figured out we had to be careful. Like if it was just the two, like we used to call them the big mama zombies, and then the regular ones, no problem. If you happen to have a screamer in the conga line, oh, you had to be careful, because the screamer was the only one that she would see you, and then she'd yell, and then you were screwed, because of course both big mamas, all of them, just and put your attention towards you and like. Oh, we got to run now. Uh, but that game is oh my god, it's that was fun. Like I remember, like we played. I don't remember if you and I played either Starbound or Terraria. I think we played Starbound together. Yeah, Starbound. Yeah. But yeah, that, that game was it was fun. It got crazy quick. But that, that looking at Digger Die it looks hilarious. at it'll
1: yeah, with Starbound you literally can build your base and set things up to where you hardly get attacked. Um. And with Digger Die, what happens is is that at night, that's when it really gets bad. Like in the day, you'll still get attacked. Like it'll still be a swarm, but at night it gets worse, and then they get stronger, and it, it's harder. So, it's much more or, uh, action oriented. So you gotta change your strategy. Because in Starbound, it get to the point where my home base was protected pretty decent, and I the only time I ran into problems when I went off to other planets or went somewhere else. But with Digger Die, no, your base has to be on point.
0: Oh, you're going to (laughs) die. Oh, man. Good things, good things. Well, folks, that wraps up another edition of Geek Salad. Um, Feel free to like, subscribe, comment on the videos. We enjoy hearing from you guys, interacting with you guys. Um, As always, guys, continue the game. Keep that passion going, and we'll see you on another Geek Salad.
1: Peace. Peace.